Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm super excited. This is the second week that I'm going to be preaching through the book of Romans. And I'm really excited about what I get to share with you today. And just to recap, and if you're joining us online, I hope you will uh, stay with us this morning. But also, if you didn't get to hear last week's message, it's kind of foundational to this week's message as we complete the first chapter of Romans. We're going to spend 11 weeks in Romans. This is going to be the most challenging sermon I preach in Romans, I believe, the most difficult sermon that I'll preach. But let me just kind of back up and share a little bit of what I preached last week. First of all, I said we all have internal compasses that point in different directions. We all have opinions, we all have passions, we all have different perspectives. COVID, the pandemic, brought that out. We've had some divisive Christians and we've had some casual Christians. And we pointed the difference out. Casual Christians are embarrassed or ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't share Monday through Saturday. Come to church on Sunday. We also had some divisive Christians. Fight over anything. Quarrelsome. Difficult. Get our Christianity confused with our politics. Jesus never intended us to bow to lesser kings, to serve idols of any type. And so as we recover and regain composure, we need to find true north and calibrate our compasses to true north. Remember, I talked about magnetic north and true north and geographic north, which is true north, and how that our compasses need to be recalibrated, our lives need to be recalibrated. And, and when I talked about true north last week, I talked about the lordship of Jesus Christ and following after Jesus in every area of our lives. We can't compartmentalize him. He is Lord over all. And so the main question is for this series is who or what has my heart? Who do I really serve? And also I think there's a parallel here from the church at Rome, who was an incredibly influential yet massively divided church, and the Church of Jesus Christ today in America and around the world. And today, as we go through this passage of Scripture, I want to remind you that are saved what you were saved from. For you that have not been saved yet, what you will be saved from. Because the consequences of sin are devastating to our lives and to our families, to our communities, and to our world, obviously. And last week we talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how Paul says in verse 16 of Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel for the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And he, and, and he gets how good the good news 
really is. And if the good news of the gospel doesn't really sound good to you, it's because you really don't understand how bad the bad news, I'm going to fall down, how bad the bad news really is. And so as we look at this section of Romans, it's not only difficult, it's become one of the most despised passages in the entire Bible in our culture today. And so I want you to lean over to the person to your right and say, these are going to be some hard truths. Now we're going to look over to the people on our left and we're going to say, these are going to be some hard truths. And I want you to know that this goes directly against what our culture promotes today. And, and you've got to realize that when I preach this, that there are no, there's no such thing as a major sin and no, there's no such thing as a minor sin. There's different consequences for different sin. But sin is sin and all sin separates us from God. From a holy God. And no matter how good you are and how gooder you get, you will never be gooder enough for God. And if you try to live a holy life, you're going to be frustrated. But I still encourage you to make progress. But realize that perfection is never attainable in this human earth suit that we live in. And so I can say confidently that there is only one Jesus and you're not it and neither am I. And what I... <laughs> and you can amen that. That's okay. Amen. But I'd like to re refer the book of Daniel really, really quickly this morning because I think it's a, a very good reminder in the Old Testament of how... Our culture tries to brainwash, it, brainwash us and immerse us in culture. And that pressure is on our kids as well as on every one of us. And I, I just want to say this. If you have children today and they're in service and you're not comfortable about me talking a little bit about sexuality, then we have a great children's ministry. And I would say you probably need to move them pretty quickly into that because I'm going to talk about some things that may be uncomfortable for you, for them to hear or for you to explain to them if, if necessary. But as we refer to the book of Daniel, remember there were four guys that were primary characters. Daniel, of course, main character, but then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were noblemen's sons. They were good young Jewish boys that were captured into Babylon in Persia, and <clears throat> when they were captured, they changed their names, changed the culture, changed the literature, changed their language, changed what they ate. They, they literally baptized them into culture to change them to become Persians instead of good Jewish boys. And how they did that was idolatry. We see in the book of Daniel where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the music played, they were to bow down to a 90-foot-tall, six-foot-wide golden idol. And we know the story. They refused to bow down. And what did they do? They went to the fiery 
they went to the fiery furnace, exactly right, and God protected them. And then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, basically said, hey, your God is mightier than my God. And that's really the point of Daniel. But that influence, that cultural influence, that Persian influence was satanic, just like it is in our culture today. You'll say, well, we don't have idols of gold, but we worship at the idols of sex, money, and power. And whatever that would take your heart away from the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we as the body of Christ, the church at large, and our church as well, doesn't need to be woke as much as it needs to be awakened to the power and the spirit of God. Thank you. You can, you can clap if you want to. It's kind of, it was a little bit better than a golf clap. But, but realize, realize that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities and, and powers of the air. It is satanic in influence. And it comes across as ideologies that try to convert us to a different way of thinking than what we see in Scripture. When we say we believe the Bible, we really do. That's our value. That's the number one value. We don't know how to practice our faith without having a biblical guide. And that is the Word of God inspired by God. Now, what, what Satan would say is, say is, it's okay to believe in Jesus all all you want. Just don't be faithful to him. And we talked about last week that you can't be hot, you need to be hot or cold, but lukewarm or casual Christianity just doesn't happen. It is not scriptural. And so as we go into the book of Romans, we're getting ready for verse 18, I just want you to, to realize all of this. And in the background of our history and our culture, since the 1960s, there's been this sexual revolution, and it's changed our world and our culture. And so what I'm going to speak to today is not going to be popular, it's not going to be comfortable, but it's also going to be biblical. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to put my preaching helmet on, and I just want you to know, I just thank you for the golf clap again. And I know you're rooting because it's Michigan. Someone said this morning as I preached in first service, Chris, you might as well just leave that helmet on because you look better that way. That kind of hurt my feelings. Aw. But I just want you to know, when you play football, what do you know? You're going to get hit. And preaching is like throwing yourself out, flinging your body out in front of traffic and knowing you're going to get hit. And so today, I just want you to know, let the hits come. This is what God says, and we're not going to back down. Amen? Amen? Okay. So, here we are. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 throw myself into the traffic. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
Now, when we think about wrath, I want you to think about wrath in two ways. The wrath for our sin, the punishment consequences for our sin as we live this life, but also in the life to come, that we will all go before our judge, before the throne of God, and we will be judged. That's the wrath that God, of God that Paul is talking about. Here it's immediate as well as in the future. C.E.B. Cranfield, a theologian, said it this way, his wrath is not something which is inconsistent with his love. Understand that. Wrath is not a popular sermon topic today. His wrath is not something which is inconsistent with his love because a lot of people think Old Testament God was angry, New Testament God is all love. Well, we see here in the New Testament that Paul talks about the wrath of God. It is an expression of his love. It is precisely because he loves us truly and seriously and faithfully that he is wroth with us in our sinfulness. See, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And if you study the Bible, you understand that God is jealous for you individually. He loves you individually. And when he sees you sin against him, you are on a self-destructive path and consequences are coming your way. And he doesn't want that for his children. He loves you that much. So he is not indifferent to our sin because he loves us. Wrath will occur. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. See, God shows us who he is. I don't know if you were up early enough this morning. You're kind of the late comers, but if you were up at 634 this morning, you saw the, the beauty of the sunrise. And for some of you, sunrise is not beautiful. I, I get that. But it was a beautiful Who's your day? About 55 degrees. Maybe that's a little cool for you. But you see creation. And you've got to understand it this way. Have you ever been stolen from? Have you ever lost something? Somebody's taken something from you? I can remember the first time I realized I had a friend of mine take something from me. And I was so disappointed. I was so, so hurt. And you see, Satan is a thief, a robber. He wants to kill and steal and destroy you. And, and sin, our, our sin nature and the fallenness of the world by design is, has been stolen from. So we don't experience this existence without the fall, without sinful nature impacting it. We just don't realize how much has been taken from us. And then Paul goes on to say, for his invisible attributes, that's the attributes of God, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So, so some people, when they read this passage and Basically, Paul's saying that all, everyone who's ever lived are, are without excuse coming before a righteous God. 
He's saying that every one of us know there's something eternal, a creator there. And, and you might say, some people will say, well, that's not fair because not everybody's going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, number one, that's a reason for us to be very involved in evangelism and the missionary effort around the world. But number two, they are without excuse because of all creation cries out that there is a God. What theologians call a teleological argument is basically intelligent design of creation. That when you experience creation, you're experiencing an intelligent design. Simply, our solar system, the way it's set up, Jupiter being so large, it's kind of like an asteroid catcher. If, if Jupiter didn't exist as large as it was with all its gravitational pulls, asteroids would more, more than likely, more often hit our world. The tilt of the earth allows gravitation and it's the way it rotates. It allows us to have gravity to be able to stay in our seats, to stay on the ground and not bounce around. The actual, the, the mixture of gases with oxygen and nitrogen and the other gases allow us to breathe for, for human life or, or life as we know it to exist. And I could go on and on and on. Cry out that there is a creator. In verses 21 and 20, through 23, Paul goes along and he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were dark and claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What that's saying there is that they've traded the creator God for idols. And that's what we have done. That's what I have done. That's what you have done. And, and if you look earlier, and I, I kind of skipped over this, that the truth is being suppressed by evil. If you look back in that passage, that is what's going on today. And cancel culture is a form of truth suppression. And, and folks, God's word is true. Creation cries out that there's a creator God. He wants his best for you. He wants you to live your best life. And that is within the boundaries of what he tells us to do within his word. Now I want to step back and say the idea of worship in this passage is an affection aimed toward something. And, and the question, it, it just begs itself, is what is your affection aimed toward? What are you really worshiping? And we've got to realize that when God says don't, he is really saying don't hurt yourself. His desire is to protect you because he loves you. And, and this is a generalization, but I think it's accurate, that over the course of human history, the thing we tend to worship most is sex. 
If you look into our culture, if you look into social media, if you look at any type of communication, and, and the largest websites are, are sexual in nature. And see, the, t- the test, the real test is our sexuality is the real test of lordship. And I want you to understand that if you look at religions, if you look at worship systems, all idolatry leads to immorality. If you look in what Paul is saying, all idolatry leads to immorality. But at the same time, Paul is saying this. He's saying, we are all guilty. We are all guilty. So rather than have binoculars out and look at those people or your neighbor or someone who comes to mind, I want you to take a mirror and look at yourself as we study this passage today. And I want to look on to what the Apostle Paul says in verse 24. He says, Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity. And this is all immorality. It says, To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, impurity in this passage means any sexual relationship outside of marriage. The only God-ordained sexual relationship is inside of marriage. And Paul is, is directly addressing a Roman culture and our culture today. He, he is throwing himself in front of the Roman church and saying, this is what's going on. And this is not of God. And then he goes on, well, actually, Jesus addresses that. And and some people will say, well, Jesus never addresses this. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I would say that any immorality in our heart is adultery against God. And then Paul goes on in verse 26 and he says this. He says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. The Apostle Paul is not just talking about same-sex attraction here. This is not his main point. He's talking about idolatry. He's talking about exchanging truth for a lie. He's talking about progressing into immorality. And that's where our culture is today. But he's also addressing what what you might not know is the first 14 of the 15 Roman emperors were all bisexual and involved in same-sex relationships. And so this culture in Rome was rampant as well as our culture today. And Paul is addressing that, but addressing Christians and Jews and saying, remember this. And then he goes on in verses 28 to 32, and he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, 
malice. They are all full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now you think, and, and the way we've been taught in Scripture is that's only one group. I'm telling you folks, I've served in the church all my life. This has been, God has blessed me to be in ministry for a long time. Every church, every person struggles with some of those sins. We all struggle together. So we need to take the binoculars off and rather than picking on just one specific group, we need to look at ourselves and say, this is true of ourselves. Paul is calling the whole church out, every Christian out, and saying, are you participating in idolatry? Have you exchanged the truth for a lie? Are you immoral in thought, in heart, in action? And saying, that's not the way it's supposed to be. God, God calls us not to be perfect, but to progress, to change. And then as we, as we look at this, and our friends and those that we care about who are not in Christ, as well as those that are in Christ, may walk away and say, how can God be good when he allows all the pain and suffering that is in this world? And I've got to tell you that that's not God's design. That is Satan's design to ruin us, to harm us, to kill us, to steal from us, and destroy us. And here's the question, that those that would approve of, of sin also react when sin is called out. And, and if you need other people's approval for your convictions, maybe you need to reconsider your convictions. We cannot approve of living immoral lives, of any sin endorsing those. But I, I, I just want you to hear this with a loving heart, with my heart in this way, as a fellow struggler, that if you are saying, oh yeah, Chris, preach it. These people need to hear it. I think we need to hear it. I need to hear it. You need to hear it. I think you need to take the mirror out and look at yourself. The Apostle Paul, I hate that there's a chapter divider here in Romans chapter 2. But here's what he says. And he's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians, Jew and Gentile in Rome. He says, in verse 1, he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges... Have we been judging as I've been preaching? For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. 
Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you by lead you to repentance? We judge other people by their intentions. Well, we, we judge other people. I, I said that wrong. We judge other people by how we perceive them, but then we judge ourselves by our intentions, don't we? We're all about the grace for ourselves, for our sinfulness, but not, not so much for other people. And that is where we need to repent and to pray for ourselves in repentance and those that we see that are going the wrong direction we need to pray for them but lovingly kindly call them to God's repentance the way I said there's only two ways to escape from feeling guilty about your sin there's only two ways to escape because we're all guilty aren't we if we really realize what is going on we can repent and agree with God and ask him to help work inside of our hearts and lives to change us to progress or we can repeat we can do it over and over again until we no longer feel the conviction from the Holy Spirit that's a choice today will you repent or will you repeat Will you please stand as I pray? God and Father, we're grateful for your word. It causes us to ever be mindful of your holiness and your sovereignty. But also, Father, how it breaks us down and, and shows us that we need a Savior. That nothing that we can do can ever achieve holiness or perfection. And all we can hope for is by your grace and through your spirit to progress in our walk with you. And Father, we just lay ourselves before you and ask you to transform us by your word and by your spirit. For those that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I just pray that they would come to know him and, and your saving grace. That you would redeem us, that you would change us, that you would make us what you designed us to be. For the sake of your calling, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come this morning?